Well, good morning. Everybody doing all right this morning? Yeah, that's good. I love to hear it. Uh, my name is Pat. If we haven't had a chance to meet, and I'm obviously not Dallas this morning. Some of y'all thought it was an April Fool's joke, but uh, Annie Jett was born on Friday, April 1st, which is awesome. So Dallas uh, wanted to stay home for some reason. Not sure why, um, but no, it's great. Uh, we're able to celebrate them. You may have saw it in the lobby, but we made a big card to take to them. So make sure you sign that. Put your uh, signature on it. Get your wife to sign it because she has better handwriting than you. Uh, whatever you need to do. And, uh, and do that just to send them a little note. That'll be really great. I'll take that by their house and drop it off. If you haven't seen pictures, I'm sure you could go on Dallas's Facebook and look them up. Uh, proud Papa over there sharing those pictures. But she's a beautiful baby. So I get to be like an angel of good news this morning. Uh, to everybody. That's a, angels in scripture, people are always scared of them, so I don't know if that's a good thing always uh, or not, but uh, I am. So turn to Luke chapter 22. We're continuing in our series this morning uh, on the, the life of Jesus, and I have actually thoroughly enjoyed this series to be able to teach uh, and also just to be a part of. Uh, God's really used it in so many different ways, and as we talk about the life of Jesus, we really went back and we started about Jesus being born. We talked about his early ministry. We talked about how God has uh, used him in so many different ways to impact us, the, the, the lessons that we can learn, the things that he taught. But if you remember in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus prior to that was really known for miracles, was known for healing, and he still was after 9. But in, in chapter 9, it talks about he turned his eyes toward Jerusalem. In that moment, Jesus started to look forward to the cross. He started to look forward to the sacrifice he was going to make on the cross. And the closer we get to the cross, the more we see evidence of that over and over again. And so today, in verse 14 of chapter 22, we're going to read in just a moment about the institution of the Lord's Supper and why that's important and how that points us to the cross. Uh, I had thought a little bit this week and I almost had people raise their hand if they were uh, Team Chris or Team Will. Uh, but it reminded me of some verses in 2 uh, Kings chapter 2. Uh, Elisha um, is getting made fun of by some kids, <clears throat> and they're saying, go up, you bald head, uh, go up, you bald head, and he cursed them, and some she-bears came out of the woods and like mauled 42 of them. It's uh, one of my favorite passages, believe it or not. Um, but the point of the story being that it's never fun to make fun of a bald person, all right? So we could just let that lie there. Don't ever make fun of a bald person, and uh, Chad knows what I'm talking about, all right? So even our worship leaders uh, understand that. Um, but the reality is, even if you had made fun of me for being bald, I probably wouldn't remember it. Like, I'm an extremely forgetful person. My wife and I actually have said that that helps our relationship because we don't hold grudges, you know? We just don't remember. We're like, oh yeah, you did do that before. I forgot about that, you know? We just don't hold that against each other. And I don't know if you're like I am, uh, but I have to write it down. So um, if somebody says uh, to pray for something, I'm pretty much going to lie to you if I say yes, unless I write it down. So um, I'll, I'll pull out my calendar, and I, I, my calendar is kind of where I run my workflow out of. So I'll put in there, if somebody's like, hey, my mom is having surgery, and I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for them. I'll put it in there, like on that date, uh, to put it in there. But I'm so forgetful, and this happened this week, that I've literally opened up my, um, my calendar before and been like, Lord, I don't remember who David was, but pray for David today and whatever he's going through, <laughs> you know, like, I've, I would totally uh, lie if I didn't say that wasn't true. Even uh, this week, I was like, all right, I don't remember who that was, but 
Um, as bad as that is on uh, holding grudges, it's really great on movies because I can rewatch a movie that's two years old and it's like watching it brand new. I'm like, hey, this is great. Like, I think maybe he was dead the whole time, but I'm about to find out. Like, this is really good. Um, so forgetfulness can be in some ways a positive. All right. But I think for a lot of us, uh, we, we need to remember things. Have you ever walked in a place and you smell it and you're like, oh man, this reminds me of the cabin I used to go to at camp. Or like you had something, a meal that somebody created and you're like, this is just like my mom or my grandma used to make, right? Um, and so like at 111 Church Street, which is the two-story White House uh, downtown Simpsonville campus, if I walk in there, it smells exactly like my Nana's house, all right? And so when I walk in, I always think of her every time I'm in there. She passed away six years ago this month, and I walk in there, and I smell it, and I immediately think, like, where are the fudge rounds? Because that was my go-to. I go to Nana's house. She always had fudge rounds in the cupboard, um, which uh, relating food with emotions is probably how I got into this trouble to start with. Uh, <laughs> just so you know, it's probably a bad uh, thing to do. But, I, man, I love walking in there. I love how the smells will bring back memories. I, I love how uh, somebody can say a phrase that will remind me of something from my childhood or, or even seeing a picture uh, from, from way back. My wife and I got engaged on April 1st, uh, 19 years ago, and so I pulled up some of those old pictures this week, and that was fun. Uh, did not even look like I do now today at all. And um, to, to remember those things is is really an interesting thing and a, and a great thing. And what this uh, verse, these verses that we're going to read today is all about is about remembering the things of God. The importance of remembering those. For a Jew who walked around uh, in their life even today to celebrate the different ceremonies they celebrate, the different meals they celebrate, they intentionally did all of these things to have a specific remembrance so that they wouldn't forget the things of God, so that they wouldn't forget what God had already done in their lives. And so as we talk about the Lord's Supper, that really is kind of the overarching mindset that even the early disciples were experiencing because this is a Passover meal that they're having together. Now, uh, before we get into it, let me just say that um, our goal today is twofold. We're going to see how the Lord's Supper um, really reminds us of Jesus and our salvation. So for the Christian in the room, this is a reminder to us of why we should have a heart of gratitude. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of our goodness, not because of our work. It's because of the work of the cross. It's because of what he has done for us. Our salvation is because only of what Jesus has done for us. The goodness of God is on full display um, with the cross. And for those of us in this room that are not Christians, my challenge for you today is to help realize exactly what Jesus did for us, that today would be the day that you decide to follow him with your life. Today would be the day that you recognize and realize the commitment that Jesus has toward us and the forgiveness that he offers us. So those are our twofold goals. And I know um, moving forward, so many of us have experienced uh, so much pain uh, this week through Tanglewood Middle and what happened there. And the, the pain that experiences in a community when something that tragic happens. But let me say that the only way out of something like that is the hope of Jesus. The only hope we can ever have in a situation like that is the hope of Jesus. I know sometimes we start thinking, well, if I just, if I can get my person voted in, right? If I can get uh, my, my guy or my girl in charge, or if I can make sure that this happens, like all will be right in the world. But I'm telling you, the world that we live in will always be broken. The world that we live in will always experience pain. There is not going to be peace on earth apart from Jesus. 
Apart from Jesus' rule and apart from the Gospel itself, there will not be peace on earth. There will be war. There will be pain. There will be struggles that we go through because we live in a sinful, broken world. And so as we read through this today, our reminder is the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that He offers us through the cross. The fact that you and I, right here, right now, can pause and we can find our joy. We can find our our love. We can find forgiveness in what Christ has already done for us. And the world around us, no matter what pain they're walking through, no matter what they're going through, can find that same hope in the cross as well. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another of which one of them it could be, who was going to do this. We are at the end of the service going to take the Lord's Supper together, but man, what a beautiful reminder and a beautiful picture for us as we read God's Word. Let me, uh, let me just give you some context on what this means, what the Passover was. This was an anonymous disciple that actually allowed Jesus and his disciples to uh, have their final meal, this Last Supper, um, in the upper room of his house. Now, just to kind of give you a picture of what those houses look like, it probably to us would probably feel more like a barn. Uh, it was generally a big house, big room. You'd keep your animals underneath, and then above it in kind of a loft was a room that people usually slept and ate and kind of did their thing. So that's, that was the upper room. When you hear the upper room, that's kind of what you should think of when you hear that. And so Jesus, having a disciple that followed him, they obviously knew him, but uh, is not mentioned in Scripture by name, allowed them to meet in his house in Jerusalem. This was actually a big day because Passover was, is a big celebration for uh, Jews. And so there were thousands of Jews in Jerusalem celebrating Passover at this time. They were all there. In fact, to the point where um, the leaders, the Roman leaders, were worried about a potential political upheaval. Um, and so that's why we see King Herod, Pontius Pilate, present in Jerusalem. Because they're like, hey, there's thousands of Jews here a problem could happen, right? They also know that Jesus is coming there, and Jesus has a following as well. And so Jesus and his disciples are in this upper room. Uh, John tells us in John 13 that actually Jesus washed all of their feet as they came in, including Judas. And we know Judas. Like, we know the end of the story, right? We know how the story continues. Judas being the one that actually deceives Jesus. But Judas is sitting literally right next to Jesus at the Last Supper, sitting to his left. And as he shows up, Jesus, even knowing he's going to be betrayed, Jesus washes his feet. Now, nobody's naming their kid Judas today, right? Like, if somebody in here has their kid Judas, I'm sorry. I'm like, but really, like, that's not like a popular name that's like riding the charts is like Judas. Because people are like, nah, we're avoiding that one, like, for obvious reasons, right? Um, and so it, it, Judas betrays Jesus, and yet Jesus serves him. Jesus loves him in the midst of all that. 
And so as they celebrate this Passover meal, it's a reminder to them of what God had already done. Now, if you rewind time and you rewind back to Exodus near the beginning of your Bible, you see the story of Moses. Moses was a guy who uh, grew up in Pharaoh's house, right? This idea that God had put him in a place of position, uh, put him in an influential place. Now, how did Israel get to Egypt to start with? If you remember the story of Joseph sold into slavery, God actually redeems Israel, saves Israel in the middle of a drought, and actually gets uh, Israel into Egypt. And yet over time, they have grown and become slaves to the Egyptian people. So how they got there in the first place was actually by the hand of God's redemption. And now they find themselves enslaved again. Moses identifies with his people and actually murders uh, a guard who was punishing uh, one of his people and then flees for 40 years. And after 40 years, God begins to call him back to say, I want you to lead your people out of slavery. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he starts to say, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Some of y'all are singing a song in your head if you heard that like somewhere when you were a kid. Um, Pharaoh, let my people go. And there's a series of plagues. There's 10 total plagues where each one of the plagues essentially attacks an Egyptian god of some type, a god that they worshiped. That plague was as if to say, the god of Moses, the god of the Israelites is greater than the gods of the Egyptians. So each one of those plagues was another way of proving that our God, the God that we worship, is way more powerful than any God that they would worship. And yet Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. He continued to say, there's no way I'm going to let those people go. There's no way that I'm letting the Israelites leave. And by the 10th plague, there was this situation where God told his people to take the blood of a lamb and to spread it on the doorposts of their house. So on the doors, on all three sides of that doorpost, there would be blood of, lamb, of the lamb spread there. And the Spirit of God was, would go through the town and every home that didn't have that blood on the doorpost, the firstborn in that house would die. And so if you had the blood on your door, the Spirit of God would literally pass over your house. That's where the term Passover comes from. That's why they would celebrate it, because it was that 10th plague that man God used to get Pharaoh's attention because of the pain that everybody felt in Egypt on that day to go, fine, leave. We don't want this anymore. I can't take this. We recognize your God is strong. Please get out of here. And so Moses leads his people toward the promised land. And the Jews would say, we do not want to forget that moment. We don't want to forget the fact that God redeemed us and saved us. And so every year they would have a Passover where they would remember through this uh, meal itself, they would remember what he had done in their lives. They would remember the commitment of freedom that God gave to them as they brought Moses to let them go. The Passover is one of many uh, ceremonies that are important feasts on the Jewish calendar, but it has strong meaning, has strong influence in their lives. And I think it's super interesting that as Jesus starts to share as he breaks the bread, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so you and I, when we read that, we think, okay, well, when we break that bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken. But for Jesus, he's saying, as you take this Passover meal, when you remember of the freedom that God offered Jewish people, when you remember how he saved and redeemed his people, now I want you to remember that it's me that saves and redeems mankind for all of eternity. And so this Passover meal that had such meaning and such depth actually takes an even deeper turn as Jesus begins to 
expose even how for hundreds of years they've been celebrating, looking forward to the Messiah without even knowing it. Now, I think what's really interesting about this is if you look at that next chapter and people start fighting amongst themselves, the chapter after mine is titled, Who is the Greatest? The disciples immediately, as soon as Jesus starts saying, hey, one among us is going to deceive me, the disciples start doing what, uh, what I think probably all of us would admit probably would really do, right? Not me. I'm better than that guy, right? They start pointing fingers like, surely, surely not me, right? Like, I, I got things way going on better than this dude over here, right? And at some point, we've got to recognize that that's how wicked our heart is. That as soon as Jesus literally says, I'm about to give my life for the world, they're like, well, I don't know, I might, be, I might be one of the better disciples, in case you're wondering. You know, like, we are constantly comparing ourselves and constantly want to be the favorite. I think a problem in our hearts that we have, isn't it? We want to be the favorite. If you're a kid, like, I always thought my brother was the favorite. He always thought I was the favorite, you know? And parents, you're like, I don't have favorites. But in the back of your mind, you're like, eh, maybe I got a favorite. I don't know. Like, everybody, has, everybody wants to be the favorite, right? And I think there's this sense inside of all of us where you're like, well, man, like, I want to be somebody's favorite preacher. I want to be somebody's favorite whatever. And we fill in the blank to where, at the end of the day, we are just like these disciples. It's easy for us to look at them and kind of point our fingers at them. But when we really recognize it, we recognize that our hearts are wicked too. We recognize that we are the same way as these disciples. And so the first thing I want us to remember this morning, the first reminder is that his body was broken. The first element that he gives us is the bread. Now this bread was known as the bread of affliction. Um, we're going to read some verses in a second, Deuteronomy uh, 16, but the bread of affliction was unleavened because God was even saying, you won't have time to watch that bread rise so make unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread would be like a pita bread, right? Or something that's flat and, and not fluffy and, and like a roll or anything like that. It's something that um, would probably be more dense uh, or, or tough. And so God uses that. Let me uh, read these verses in Deuteronomy 16. It says, You shall eat no, unle or excuse me, no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. In all the days of your life, you may remember the day you came out of the land of Egypt. Every time they were to eat this bread, they were to remember that God had delivered them from slavery. There actually were bitter herbs that reminded them of the bitterness of slavery. Salty water that represented the tears of the Jews under Egypt's oppression. The main course would be a lamb, just a reminder of that sacrifice even that God would need from them to be able to offer up some sense of, of blood sacrifice for them so they could have some sense of forgiveness in their lives. And so they would, they would smell all of these smells and they would have all of these conversations as they would repeat back these phrases so that they could remember what God had done in their lives. And Jesus says, this bread is even going to remind you of a greater deliverance. This bread is going to serve as a reminder of me breaking my body, of my body being broken and being given to deliver you from sin. Over the next 24 hours, Jesus would be deceived. Judas would turn him in. He'd be arrested. He'd be beaten with a whip. He'd be forced to carry a cross. They would nail him to that cross. They'd put a crown of thorns on his head mocking him. 
Jesus' body was broken. And it was broken for you and for me. And I know we have these little silly packets that we make to make it super easy for us to pass it out, but as we take the bread, it's a reminder for us of His body broken for us. It's easy for us to think, well, man, that was accidental. Certainly the disciples didn't see that coming, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they weren't quite there yet, but let me tell you this, it absolutely was Jesus' plan. It was His intention. Even back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was looking forward to the cross. Jesus knew that His body would be broken once and for all. No longer would there need to be a sacrifice or a substitute on an annual basis. Jesus' blood is enough. Jesus' body is enough. Jesus was broken for you and for me. It was broken on purpose. It would be easy for us to think this is some sort of tragedy, some sort of tragic event that happened in history, but this was not a tragedy. This was God's plan. And it was through the cross that we experienced that forgiveness. Reminder too, His blood was shed. The second element that He gives us in this ordinance of Lord's Supper is the blood. Now, I know we uh, have grape juice in here and, uh, instead of wine, but they would use wine in that day. I actually went to uh, Liberty University Christian College, and I remember some friends of mine that went to a church on Sunday morning and came back, and they were like, we took the Lord's Supper, and I'm pretty sure that's wine. Like, do we have to turn ourselves in? Or like, what, how does this work? I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't do anything. So I think you're fine. Um, but we, we use grape juice. Fun fact, uh, Thomas Welch was a Methodist pastor who uh, started selling grape juice, uh, making it for his church for communion. And then, like, now these kids are millionaires, so go for it. Um, that's what I hope for my kids, you know? PKs make some money. All right, support their dad. Um, but this, this uh, grape juice is representative of his blood. As Jesus passed that cup around, he would say, when you drink of the cup, I want you to remember of my blood spilt for you. Now, I know this is a weird concept for us because we're like, why would you spill blood? Like some of y'all are like, you're the parent that like if a cut happens or something like that, you're like, I'm out. That's you. Like you take care of that. I'm not, I'm not that parent, right? Um, maybe you're that person or like you I've seen people that just turn white as soon as they see blood like they'll faint or whatever um, I'm, I'm not there. I'm that way for other things, but not that all right So and at the end of the day like blood can be a gross thing for us or we can feel like it's a gross thing But it's important for the jewish person to understand what blood is Because the blood of a sacrifice was what they needed in order for their family to be forgiven. What they would bring to the temple and ask the priest to sacrifice on their behalf upon the altar was a lamb, the best of the best. Please take what I have, right? Please sacrifice that up there so that my sins and my family's sins would be forgiven, even for a short period of time until the next time that we come to this temple to worship. Because I need that sacrifice for my own forgiveness in my life. And Jesus saying, here's my blood, remember of this new covenant. He's saying, I am giving my blood once and for all. For that sacrifice to be once and for all. In Exodus 24, Moses and the people have left Egypt and, and they're at Mount Sinai and Moses is meeting with the Lord and it says this in verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in his basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the hearing of the people. 
And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made in your accordance with these words. So for, for a Jew, for one of these disciples to hear Jesus saying, here's a new covenant, they would remember and they would know these words of Moses by Moses saying, it's by this blood, by the blood of this sacrifice that God is making a covenant with you. Jesus is saying, it's by my blood that I make a new covenant with you. By my blood, I'm making a permanent covenant with you. We can have a relationship with God because of his deliverance and now because of our obedience and fulfilling and understanding what his blood was for. It was evidence of their escape from Egypt. But if we want to belong to God, we got to understand that our blood or our sins are covered by the blood of his sacrifice. His blood removes the penalty of sin for us. His blood removes the power of sin for us. Now, the Bible uses this term, oftentimes sanctification, this idea that God is constantly working in our lives, constantly helping us day after day after day to become more like Jesus, and you'll continue on that path till the day that you die. And I hear people say, like, man, the church is full of hypocrites. And let me just say this, like, I've said it a lot, I'll keep saying it, because the reality is, if you're here and you think you're better than somebody else, then yes, the church is full of hypocrites. But the reality is, you and I are broken, and we will never be perfect, and we will never get there. We'll never get to perfection until we are in the presence of Jesus. So the church should be full of broken people who recognize that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. That we are forgiven and lost the penalty of sin only because of what he's done for us. And our motivation is to share that hope with the world around us. Not to think we're better than them or look down at them. Our, our motivation should be, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm forgiven because of what your blood has done for me. So forgive me and help me to serve and love this community the way that you want me to love them. The reality is, you and I need to come to the conclusion in our lives regardless of where you are in your life, that because we, we can have a relationship with God because of what He's done for us, not because of what we've done for Him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. And I don't want to put too much power into our own prayers, but it starts with us saying, I want to repent. I want to trust in Your blood as that sacrifice. I want to trust in the cross being that sacrifice for my life. And I don't want to minimize the work of sin. The third thing, last thing, is that His promise was fulfilled. His promise was fulfilled. Time and time again, Jesus was there for the Old Testament people. Time and time again, God repeatedly showed His faithfulness to the Old Testament believers, and now Jesus is reminding Him of this new promise, this new covenant that He was making. I think it's easy for us to judge, like I said, the disciples who start immediately fighting amongst themselves, because I think that's what would happen in my house in many ways, to be honest. But we would start fighting amongst themselves, and yet you and I are the same way, but yet we are forgiven, not because of how great we are, but because of His covenant He's made with us. Jeremiah 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. My covenant which they, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and bring, uh, or excuse me, teaches his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, 
and I'll remember their sin no more. God promised, uh, promises to us in Jesus that not only can we have the removal of sin's penalty, but we can have the removal of sin's power. You and I can have that relationship with Him because of what He's done for us. We worship God through the remembrance of Christ's redemption of His children by His sacrifice on the cross. That's the reason why we're here to worship. is because of what He's done for us. And the Lord's Supper is literally showing us how we can be forgiven. The Lord's Supper is showing us how we can be right with God because it's expressing to us what He has already done for us. It's expressing to us that He wants to give us a new heart. He's offered us a new life and a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5 says anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. There's a celebration that happens when God gives us a new heart and says sin no longer has its power. So no matter where you are this morning, I want to challenge you. If you're a believer in this room, that we would walk out those doors with a sense of gratitude and humility on our hearts, with a sense of joy and celebration, that every step be an act of worship, that every breath be an act of worship, that we'd walk out this place saying, Father, thank you so much for the cross. This morning, as we remember what you've done for us, we remember in an act of worship. And we celebrate that fact. And for anybody in this room that says, I'm ready to take that step, whatever it means to follow Jesus, because I recognize that I am a sinner who needs somebody in my place, and I recognize Jesus has been that for me. I pray that you would have the courage to make that decision today. Come grab me, come grab one of our leaders, talk to the person next to you, grab them by the hand, say, I want today to be the day that I follow Jesus with my life, because I've recognized exactly what he has done for me. And so hopefully you got a cup on your way in. We're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper now. If you didn't get one, if you'll raise your hand if you'd like one. And we have some uh, folks that will pass you one. So just keep your hand up till they get you, get you one. Um, and what you'll do at the very top here is peel this very top portion off. Paul in 1 Corinthians is writing about this very Lord's Supper. And he says, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Continued in that next verse, and he says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you show us, for the love that you've expressed to us through the cross. We thank you that this morning we can remember these things as a way to celebrate you, as a way to, to remember that you have freed us forever, that you have brought us out of the slavery of sin, that you have brought us into new life. And so, Father, this morning we worship you because you deserve it. We lift up your name because... Father, we want uh, to celebrate the fact that you loved us enough, not because we were great, but in spite of us, and sent your Son to a cross, coming this whole time with that in mind, knowing that 
His body would be broken, that His blood would be spilt, but that it would be once and for all a sacrifice to remove the penalty of sin. Remove the power of sin. I pray for us in this room that, God, You would speak so clearly to our hearts this morning that You would allow us to even feel and recognize Your presence in such a way that we can worship You with our whole hearts in spirit and truth. God, I pray for the person in here that needs courage to talk to someone about taking the next steps in their spiritual walk to follow You. God, I pray that You'd give them courage this morning. And for all of us as we leave this place, may we glorify You. In Jesus' name, amen.